be a, the Football Factory podcast. Special for episode 15. My WB. Some of you, of course, know me as Dan. Unfortunately, uh, it's available today, so you're stuck with just me. But we have for you today. Now, to give our special guest a proper introduction he deserves, I'll put the history books that originally told us that it was the late, great Lloyd, Laurie, sorry, Laurie Cunningham, um, rest in peace, Laurie, who was the first black player to represent England as he played for England under 21s in 1977. Then after that, he informed that the first person to play for England was indeed Viv Anderson, who was given his first senior cap in 1978. Both of them two very important and highly significant men. Our guest today was actually the first black player to represent at any level, and his name is Benjamin Badejo. He was acquired the pseudonym of the forgotten footballer and welcome an internet. As we go along, welcome. Thank you very much for your time. I'm extremely grateful. Um, first of all, I'd like to hope that you and your family are well during these tough, challenging times. We are surviving. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, more, this is more than welcome, believe me. I'm, I'm, I'm thanking you all the time <laughs> and as much as possible, um, I'll be thanking you. Um, now, for anyone who didn't know, Ben made his debut for England schoolboys in March 1971. He played against Northern Ireland in a 1-0 win in front of over 70,000 people at Wembley. Um, now, I'm, I was afraid when I was in school, Ben, of getting up to do a presentation in front of the class. Um, how did you handle that? And what exactly are your memories um, from that debut in um, 1971 for England schoolboys? A tough question. How did I handle it? Let's just say when we were lining up to walk onto that famous Wembley turf, nerves got the better of me. And of course, you can hear everything. The band playing, the crowd waiting for the team to walk on. Now, uh, that, uh, that, on that day, if someone, I've said this before, if someone actually said to me, would you like to come away and don't play the game? I would have said yes. Why? Because I was nervous. But as soon as you walk on that Wembley turf and the crowd are roaring and the referee is ready to blow that whistle and the whistle is blown, you're thinking of your first touch. Now, if you make a mistake on that first touch, the next 10 minutes you can kiss it goodbye because uh, you'll be thinking of what happened previously. But if your first touch is okay and the crowd sees it and appreciates it, you're gone. It's great. And of course, all of a sudden, the noise level from the crowd disappears. And the only thing that you will hear, the only noise you will hear is your teammates calling you, giving you instructions on what to do, turn, 
first time, the ball keeps rolling. Uh, <laughs> I think that first touch is, is everything when you've got... Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. You've got nerves at that age. Um, right, so before, obviously, let's do a bit in regards to background, then we'll come back, obviously, to the um, schoolboy uh, picture, and then obviously... Sure later on in regards to um, your career so you, you were born in Nigeria yeah right and mm. was it at age five the family came to England uh, the family came to England before I did and uh, oh. they said they said for me afterwards once they were settled but I went to primary school here in England so I spent two years in uh, my local school called Lucasville primary school uh, as said, between Deptford and Lucian Way. The bits, South London in the house. Yes, always oh, <laughs> South London, yes. <laughs> now, um, so for instance, your mum, obviously, so in regards to your background, rather, my mum came over in the 70s, but she lived in Yorkshire, so I've heard her stories. But mm. what was it like in London in general? back when you were in um, primary school, like your own experience in um, terms of like things culturally? Hmm. Well, primary school, parents. Um, racism was, was rife, worse than it is now. And uh, I remember my, my father and I walking along one day and we saw an advert on the window which read, room to let, no Irish, no dogs, no blacks, in that order. Which actually said, dogs were more important than blacks, because in order, the Irish was on top, dogs in the middle, and blacks. And at times, even walking along the street, Someone can walk past you and call you a name that you don't like or I don't like. Names I will not repeat on here. Maybe later on I will do. But uh, names calling was quite was was quite natural to some people, and I didn't really understand that. And that continued through my footballing career as well. And. It's, it is something that needs to be addressed. How? I don't really know. Because this thing has been going on for years now. And I must admit, nowadays, it's, it is simmered down. But not enough. And in, in my days, we couldn't cry out. Because who do we cry to? Sometimes the coaches who are coaching you are the one actually calling calling you the names. The coaches? Some of the coaches, yes. But well, players. It, it, wow. Listen, listen to me. In their defense, it's a joke. Can't you take a joke? It's a laugh. So some, some of your teammates would do it. For them... For them, it's a joke. It's, it's a way of um, introducing themselves to you. 
And for us black players then, well, for me as a black player then, I kind of stepped over it because I knew football is there for me to be played. So I, I went out there to go and play football. Anything else, I just brushed aside. I remember reading, um, <coughs> sorry, um, Ian Wright's book when I was really little, and he spoke about um, racism and um, mm. teammates. Um, but obviously, I was shocked there when you said about coaches. Obviously, not really a huge shock when you think about it, because um, look at even a recent example, uh, Peter Beardsley, <laughs> with what he said um, in regards to... Um, um, the black players that he was training about, they should know how to climb. Obviously, insinuating like they're like monkeys or etc. You know, or climbing to run away from police or whatever. You know, so um, actually, it's not as shocking hearing that because obviously, as you're saying, it was much worse back mm. and then. Obviously, than it is now. It's just exposed more now. More people talk about it now. But as you yeah. said, people were frightened to obviously speak out um, mm. before in regards to it. So, in regards to um, primary school, mm. who, who helped you? <laughs> who helped me? I can I forget Mr. Wind. The building your character. Yeah. Oh, yes. Mr. Wind was my teacher, my coach, my advisor, my everything at school. After my parents... There was Mr. Mr. Wind. Mr. Wind saw something in me which other people did not see. And he, he used to take it upon himself. Every Friday after school, we would go to Blackheath playing fields. And he would teach me all he knew about football, especially using both feet. I'm right-footed, and he would ban me from using my right foot and practice the left foot. Anybody who I've played with would tell you that uh, uh, Ben doesn't use his left foot. The left foot is just to stand up in. That's, that's the pivoting foot. Yeah, Even my boots, the left foot is screw-on studs for grit, and the right foot is rubbers for kicking, pulling the ball back, doing what you had to do with the ball. So the left foot was just to stand up. And Mr. Wynn said, here, you have to use both feet. This is what you need to do. Practice, practice, practice. So Mr. Wind, yeah. And I remember my first game for against England. Mr. Wind rang. And the phone was given to me in the changing room while I was getting changed. And he, he wished me all the luck. And I thought, Mr. Wind, this is for you. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be here now. So, Mr. Wind, yeah, number one. Yeah. Ian Wright said about one of his... Um, teachers uh, he thought he died and then obviously he I think he's passed away now but then he actually met him surprised and he met him and how emotional he was and what he did for him, how he made him feel like he could oh. be, when you've got all this racism going on but you have 
and isolated, you have a, a, a white individual who, who gives you advice. Yeah, Mr. Wind, he gave me a white shoulder to cry on. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. makes a difference. Yes, oh yeah, Mr. Wind gave me a, a white shoulder to cry on because he used to say, don't mind, take no notice. This is what you can do, yeah. show them. He actually, there was one advice he gave me, which to today, I believe in it. He said, if they are calling you names, it means that you're hurting them. It means that you're doing well. Yep. Now, if you were not doing what you're supposed to do beyond how you were meant to do it, they wouldn't call your name and they wouldn't say anything to you. So take that, yeah, take that on board and go out there and show them that you are better than that. This is what you can do. Expression, expression yourself, basically. Mm. That, that, mm. Was, that was your voice. Yeah. That was your voice. Yeah. In the position that you were in with the racism going on, the social climate, that was your voice. That was your way of expressing yourself through mm. any emotion that you were from. Get on the football pitch, kick the ball, everything changes. Most definitely. And now you scored, <laughs> um, was it 400 or just under 400 goals in three years? <laughs> that is absolutely insane. And then you gained the nickname, the boy Pele. <laughs> Did you feel added pressure with that or, or not? Um, pressure, Look, looking back now, yes. But during the time those things were happening, um. No, I didn't because I was out there enjoying myself with players that understood me and I understood them as well. And playing with friends that you grew up with, it was second nature. Uh, nowadays, they they will advise teammates playing in, um, in the, the professional leagues, now, like for instance, the Manchester United, the Spurs, the Arsenal, they, they will like, uh, encourage players to be friends and do things together. But in those days, we went out together, went to the same school, uh, the same youth club, played in the playground together so you understood how each other functioned. So it was second nature. And um, for you, to answer your question, pressure... No, uh, pressure wasn't there because I was just out there enjoying the game with my friends. So I went out there to go and play football. There you, there you go. Right, so in regards again to the um, the England debut, um, is it, uh, well, not correct, you've basically partially stated it. What racism did you endure during your debut at Wembley? <laughs> uh, I think the one that stood up was after the game at Wembley. I was um, I was outside Oxford Street to, to be exact, standing outside the shop with with few, uh, with a, a friend of mine, and uh, just looking in. And a guy walked past me, 
they looked at me and called me a black bastard. Oh, wow. For a split second, I froze. A few hours ago, on the Wembley turf, wearing a white shirt with the three lions on it, I was regarded as, a, well, I suppose, as an Englishman. But now I'm in my civic clothes. I'm a black human being, or shall I say I'm a black bastard. I, I couldn't get over that. And secondly, before that, when the England team gathered at our hotel and were being handed out our stuff, shake um, one of the director's hands to give you your bag, you walk away. My turn, I shook his hand, he gave me the bag and he said to me, you are now one of us. I didn't really understand that statement because um, I was I was there to play football and I was there as an, Eng, as an England player. Now, he made that statement, you're now one of us. I didn't, I didn't really understand it. It's only now, as one, one gets older, you sort of read a lot into things. So does that mean then, as a black person, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't a member of the England team? Or what did it mean? And I still don't understand that statement. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, you're now one of us. Well, I didn't take any notice of it because all I wanted to do is to play football. Football is something I enjoy doing, um, either playing for a team or playing with your friends at school in the playground or playing for England. It's a game. My love for football is beyond things like racism. So for to me, uh, all the racist names that I was called didn't really matter because I knew I was going out there to go and enjoy a game that I enjoy playing. That's that's me. Thick skin, thick skin. Yeah. How how did your how did your parents feel about your England call up and you playing football in general? <laughs> uh, both of my parents dislike. <laughs> They dislike uh, me playing football because uh, they believe in that book by Bertrand Russell that read, that says uh, devil makes work for idle hands. And so uh, if you've got time on your hands, you can go out there and, and do things. Go and play football. That's not a proper thing to do. My parents used to find an hour, an extra hour in the day to go and read. So 25 hours a day, go and read your book. My parents expected a lot from me in terms of qualification, i.e. Um, a degree in law, doctor, engineer, because my parents came to England to spend probably a maximum of five years or a minimum of two or, or three to get the paper qualification, go back to Nigeria and set up and do what they want to do, which a lot of them did. A lot of the Nigerians did, but some didn't. Some stayed behind. 
And if you've got a child who's growing up here in England, they expect them to do the same thing, to read. Bless my mum. My mum did not one day see me play football. Never. She was told... No, she didn't want to go. But towards, towards the latter end, my, my dad thought, hang on, um, this child is, has gone this far. This is what he wants to do. Let's support him. Even our, our people, Nigerian people, uh, let, let me narrow it down to where I'm from, the Urubu society. Every weekend, we used to have the gathering of all the elders at our house to advise my parents to stop me from playing football. Now, things like, um, how can you allow your son to come all the way from Nigeria to come to this country to come and play football? Is my father mad? Go on, go and read your book. Hmm? My mom was a strong believer. My mom, if if I wanted five p to go and buy a a pair of football laces for my boots, she would say she hasn't got it. <laughs> but if I said to my mom. There's a there's a science book that costs three hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Exaggeration here. <laughs> but if I wanted that for a science, any book, any educational book, guaranteed that the following morning that money would be on the dining table for me to go and purchase that book. Magically <laughs> <it> appear. <laughs> it will appear. But she could not afford 5p for my football laces. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it, was, it was dad that saw dad saw things and thought, yeah, let, let, let him do something. And, uh, yeah. But uh, I can understand what they did, especially my mum. I can understand why she did what she did because... Uh, how many ex-professional footballers now who will retire from the game who has something to to run up to? Uh, it's not every player that retired that becomes a pundit for BBC or work for Sky. It's not given. Yeah, it's not. Because if you haven't got any paper qualification, the jobs that you'll be getting. Yeah. So, mum... Bless you for doing what you did, because uh, the happiest day of my mom's life were, was when I graduated with a degree. And of course, <laughs> uh, working as a school teacher nowadays, I every time I wake up, I think of my mom who's now passed away for what he did. Sorry, for what she did. Because it, yeah, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would, I would have a qualification. Bless her. In, in regards to obviously uh, you've partially said it there is that in regards to taking pride in your work and what you can do 
though you're playing football outside of football as well, in regards to your coaching, because you might as well go to that next, how important do you inform them about having their parents as being their primary role models and rather than looking to a footballer or celebrity or something like that? that these, fundamental, these type of fundamentals that you teach um, yeah. and outside of obviously um, just kicking the ball. Hmm. Um, I always tell my my players that your role model is your parents or they should be your parents because no parents no parents will knowingly advise their child to do something that they know is wrong no decent parents will do that they might make a mistake but knowing something is wrong, they would not ask their child to go in there. So I always say, look, if your mom or your dad says no to you for something, it's pointless you stamping your feet and crying and demanding it. Think about because, it. yeah, think about why they have said it. They've said no. Maybe the no means they've... they've They've done what you're about to do and they've seen the consequences of, of doing it and they don't want you to make the same mistake. So, yeah, so they're telling you, don't do, don't make the same mistake as I made years ago. They're not openly telling you that, but by refusing, that's exactly what they're asking you to do. Yeah, don't use other people as your role model because they don't know you and you don't know them. All you see is the glamour that you were told. And nowadays, I don't know if this is still true or not, but out of every 100,000 hopeful young footballers, those who want to become players, footballers, how many do you think will make it? I will ask. Some of them will say, oh, 50, 100. But years ago, it used to be one out of the 100,000. And that one is the one that you and I will read about, will see on TV. But those 900 and something, we don't hear about them. Do you know what happens to some of them? We don't. So before you put all your eggs in one basket and say, look, I want to be a professional footballer and that's all I want to do, think about it. At the moment, I work as a supply teacher and I visit various schools from one school to another school to another school, depending how long I'm staying there. For. It could be one day at this school, two days there, a term there. And the amount of boys that I see say I want to be a footballer okay you want to be a footballer um, how about the schoolwork now nah, I don't need to do the schoolwork my advice to a few of them would be okay if you want to be a footballer why don't you stay at school so you can learn for instance English class, you can 
read the contract and know what you're what you're signing. Oh no, sir, I don't need to do that. I'm going to employ an agent who's going to do that for me. Okay. What about the amount of money that you're earning? Oh, sir, I'm going to employ an accountant to to do that for me. So okay, if you can't read what's written down, and the accountant verbally tells you that he's only going to take five percent. But the way it's been worded is taking 90%. And you wake up one day and find yourself bankrupt. What do you do? Oh, so the, the people that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to employ uh, are not going to be like that. But watching them on the plane, on the training field, they can't even kick a ball properly. Some of them haven't got the ability of becoming a professional footballer. They see, for instance, they watch Sky TV and they and they see what the professional players are doing in that half an hour or an hour warm-up. Some of those children or players, they believe that that's all, that's all professional footballers do. They come to work, they kick around and just do that and they go home. They don't see what happens from Monday to Friday behind closed doors. Yeah. But they all still want to be professional footballers. But that probably having the ability to do that. First of all, um, break down um, when it started, where you're based. Um, this is your time to yeah. But also, well, in regards to the parents that um, bring their children, do hmm. they come and leave their kids or do they actually stay and watch them? Because I, for instance, my nephew is 12 years old now and he goes um, uh, with, um, he was going to Africa in um, Brixton and uh, you do get not just with him but even where he used to go before and other people's children I know that play football as well the parents come and just leave the kids Hmm. how integral is it and do you actually talk to some parents about monitoring their kids and picking up how much they're into football or not because they they seem to be they, they irresponsibly and are not disobedient because they know their parents are not there so some of them just come to have just a laugh and whatnot how do you to instill to, uh, to the children the influence of what they're doing okay uh, let me start off with introducing my soccer school it's called Atlantic Sports Development and the teams within that is known as Atlantic All-Stars. We are based in Queen's Park and Kilburn 
in actual uh, Queen's Park itself, northwest London, um, not far away from Queen's Park tube, um, tube station. Now, the players that comes, we cater for players between the ages of four and 15, and we split them into three age groups. Uh, the parents will bring their children in. They can stay if they want to. Or if they want to go out and do what they need to do, they will go and then come back. Each session lasts for an hour and a half. Now, we use what we call a red card um, system, whereby we will read you the, what we call the riot act, your behavior, what we expect from you, right at the beginning. Now, if you think our rules are too stringent and you don't like it, we will tell you to go. Because it's there, there's only um, us, the coaches here. When your parents leave you in our care, we become your parent, we become your big brother, we become your uncle. So we will look after you the way your parents will look after you. Now, if we say no to something, it is no. So these, these rules are for you hey, to safeguard you and to make sure that you improve in the things that we that we treat you. So yes, there are rules. Yes, parents can stay if they want to or leave them with us. And most parents will go, especially those who are, let's say between 12 and 15. Yeah, they will go. But the four to seven year olds, the parents are around because we have water break every so often and sometimes the four-year-olds won't be able to cater for their water so parents of the four to seven will stay around to make sure that they're okay once the session is over um, the parents will come collect the child and go and get ready for next week so yes uh, we ask them to stay if they want to if they don't really want to they can go I find some children talking with other, um, talking with, I'm not a parent myself, but talking with, mm. they, they know, because I've other parents that they talk to, just bring the, the kids, just look at it as an opportunity to muck about, and then they get filtered out, those kids get filtered out over time, because they can, they pick two serious kids in deep time. Right. Obviously, it sounds in regards to obviously what you're teaching that you recognise that from early and let the parents know if your child's not going to be serious, don't bring him in. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, I think I, I left out um, the red and yellow card. Now, you will get a chance. If you misbehave or you don't do what we've asked you to do, if you are lucky, we will give you a verbal warning that what you're doing is, yeah. If you're not, it's a yellow card. We'll show you a yellow card. Which means that from the time you receive that yellow card to the end of the game, you can't put a foot wrong or your your behavior is going to be tops. 
because if it's not, there's going to be a, another yellow card, which means it's a red. Now, if we give you a red card, where you are, I've got your parents' phone number, if your parents is not there, I will ask your parents to come and take you away immediately. Depending on how serious what you did is, next training session, you won't be there. And you will come back on second one. And hopefully, that will teach you a lesson. So we use the, red, the yellow and red card quite frequently, well, not quite frequently, but as we see fit, it will be used. So behavior is at the top. If you don't want to behave, please, you're free to go. The gates are open, please. Just tell your dad that, dad, I don't like the rules here and I want to go elsewhere. Please do. Because I will treat you the way I treat my own children. And the way I hope that your parents will treat you too. Because if you have those apples in there that aren't as serious, mm. not realizing what you're doing, at that age, they're going to easily be able to influence some other Others, yeah. You know, spread through, it can be toxic, so get that in the bud from early. Yeah. So, right. So, in regards, obviously, as we're talking about the whole kids thing, um, your own children. Mm. <laughs> Do you, do you do you do you want them to get into football or like what has what has your advice been today? <laughs> okay, I've got two girls and one boy. Yeah, and um, the girls, I used to take them with me to football when they were very very young, not to play football as such, but just for the, for the physical exercise. Yeah, yeah, but if they wanted to 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 play football, um, I would not discourage them from doing so, but but they didn't. Um, after a while, of course, with girls, um, other interests came in and they stopped playing football. My son, however, hated the game originally. Um, to him, dad teaching me to play football. I know how to play football already. Uh, all I have to do is kick in the goal. And that's it. And um, I was the worst coach in the world and didn't want to play football. So I left him. And it was only three years ago that he sat me down and said, Dad, I want to come back. I said, no, 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 please don't come back. I mean, uh, you, you don't like football. I mean, uh, you said football was rubbish and your dad was the worst coach in the world. So, no, please. And we sat down, we had a heart-to-heart -heart talk because uh, his friends started teasing him that, uh, because you know what kids, they all sit down, all his friends will sit down and they will um, exchange um, conversation. Oh, I was scouted by this club the other day and I'm playing for this club. Um, that come to my son, uh, who are you playing for? Where are you now? Um, well, no one. Ah, Tigger, your dad did this and you're not. So the penny dropped 
and decided that, okay, um, I'm going to take it serious now. Wow. So uh, he's, he says, he's come back to say, look, can I come back? I said, yes, of course you can, but only if you want to. Not because uh, your dad is doing this for you or your friends, only if you want if you want to. So he's changed his mind and uh, he's now, well, working working as hard as he can and he's progressing. What I would call a work in progress. Well, he's got. He's yeah. a, <laughs> that was the decision he makes to be a footballer. He's got uh, no one better in, yeah. in position, obviously, um, to advise him. Now, in regards to the fact of, as we said right at the start in the intro, the fact that you've garnered uh, um, the pseudonym, the forgotten footballer, because it was like you'd been erased from history history yeah yeah so less than 10 years ago how how has that affected your kids because obviously they know that you're not going to lie to them so when they have in the past said that you were the first back player to play for england i would <laughs> people would have so people the other children their peers would have thought oh you're lying or you're making up when indeed they're actually telling the truth yeah um i think my girls brought tears to my eyes, uh, especially on Black History Month. And I remember one of them proudly announced that her dad is or was the first black footballer to play for England at any level. For a split second in that classroom, according to her, wall of silence no one wouldn't say anything and then a few seconds later laughter kids are wicked to themselves you know liar he's not how can you say things like that in front of us he's not on google and we've done this his name is not on this so you are lying to us she came on one day and she sat me down and said, Dad, did you really play for England? I said, why are you asking me this question? He said, well, I said at a school, and all my friends laugh at me and call me a liar. <laughs> so I said, um, yes, I did play for England. And... Um, your friends who are calling you a liar, maybe they don't know what they're talking about. I said, they do, they do, they do, because they checked it on Google and then, and your name didn't come up, so you are lying. Hmm. Luckily for me, one of the parents of the child that I coach had a, um, got a friend who had a, a season ticket for Arsenal and I was invited to go and watch Arsenal and um, Arsenal and Everton. I'll never forget that. So we sat down and we were having lunch, we were having dinner because a um, season ticket of this guy included um, one of the director boxes and stuff. So we were having dinner and introduced ourselves until uh, one of the um, guests was a BBC reporter who said, oh, okay, Ben, we know who you are. And uh, this thing was set up so that you can come and 
and come and tell, tell us your story. Well, the reporter asked if he can come down to Queen's Park and do a recording of us. I said yes. So he came down and did a two-minute um, report on Atlantic sports development and myself as the first black England footballer at, at any level. And that, um, that video is on YouTube at, at the moment. So when that was released, my daughter going back to school with that evidence said, look, I told you that my dad was the first black England footballer. Um, you can check on YouTube. Here it is. From that day, I saw a big, wide smile Face. on their faces. Yes, and uh, that actually made me proud of them because uh, previously I thought, hang on a minute, what's happening here? And uh, still, even now, um, one or two are still saying that um, it's either Laurie Cunningham or Viv Anderson. In fact, let me just add this. Laurie Cunningham was a very, very good friend of mine. We grew up together. Uh, I first met Laurie Cunningham when we went on the England trial at Bisham Abbey. That's the first time I saw Laurie. Coming back to South London, I we became so close that we exchanged phone numbers and stuff. He was an apprentice at Orient and I was an apprentice at Charlton. So we used to meet after or well, after work yeah. and um, we used to go out and, and do things. And uh, sad to see that uh, he's no longer with us. What a player he was in those days. And yes, he was a special friend that passed away far too early. Yeah, very, very early. May he so rest in peace, yeah. Laurie. Yeah. So, so in regards to um, the Indian team as it stands now, hmm. um, you've got a lot of black and mixed race players in and around the England squads, Raheem Sterling, Carl Walker, Marcus Rashford, Fabian Delph, Daniel Rose, um, and also, even if we just talk from the South London aspect, just to name a few, you've got Joe Gomez, Jaden Sancho, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Being, having grown up in South London and knowing it was indeed you, was the first black player to represent England and that you're a trailblazer, trendsetter, there's so many different words in regards to what you've done. How much pride does it fill you with to see this many players in the land uh, to set up? Oh, joy. Uh, there are no words that can describe the way I feel for these guys. And uh, just to know that, they might not believe this, just to know that uh, I opened the door for one or two players, you know, to go out there and play. Now, it, that, it brings me back to the early days when we used to, in South East London, when we used to all congregate in uh, a park, in, in a park in SC13 called 
Hillifields Park, where we used to play games, um, ten aside, thirty aside during the summer months when um, uh, at nine o'clock or half past nine to ten it was still bright, and you start the game probably at five o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, if you're tired, if you're hungry, you go home and eat and then come back and the game is still going on. Uh, if you can play a match in Illifus Park and, and come away, you can play football anyway. So it, it's nice to hear that South East London has produced so many of the players who are now representing or shall I say gracing the grounds of um, famous clubs like the ones that you've mentioned previously. Um, I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for them. I'm so happy for them also that they've got a voice rather than suffering silence because I did and most of my peers those days did because we didn't have a body or we didn't have an avenue to go to and go and air our views regarding what was happening to us because even the television the program that was uh, that was being televised then, some of them were so uh, some of them were not TV programs that should be that that should be shown, but they were, and we had to suffer because the, the channels in those days there was only what four channels or three channels: BBC One, uh, BBC Two, and ITV. Yeah, they were the only station, and 12 midnight, um, television used to sign off. And Prime TV, we used to have Afghanet with some of his, um, yeah, or even Love Thy Neighbor, yeah. programs like that, you know. And the words that were being used were not words that should be used in those days, but they were used. And I remember a lady asking me this question, which really infuriated me in those days. She asked me that back in Africa, do we still live on trees? <laughs> uh, I, I paused for a while and I said, no, we've moved from that now. We, we move from one tree to another tree. So we don't just live on one tree anymore, we travel. And she was embarrassed. She looked at me and said, well, I didn't mean it like that. I said, well, I answered your question as you asked it. You asked me if we still live on trees. I said, no, we we moved from one tree to another tree. So we, we kind of swing now. And I don't know if the embarrassment of her question made her blush. No idea. But that's what used to happen in those days. But nowadays... Uh, black players, they've got a voice. Raheem Sterling, standing up for himself. Well done, son. I admire you for what you're doing. Because, uh, like I said, during my time, I couldn't complain to anyone. Who do I complain to? I must admit, in their defence, the coaches, even though they will use names like Chalky and stuff like that, they didn't actually mean it to hurt us it's so for some of them is a fear of the unknown because they don't know what they were doing for them it's a joke no it's a way of introducing us to the game it's a way of uh, mixing with us because some coaches will say they don't understand black players 
we don't understand how they how they behave, why they're doing certain things. Well, is that why? Would that lead you to calling us names that will hurt us? Having bananas thrown at me in those days, I used to pick them up, eat half of it, and throw the other half towards the direction where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only one. Way, it's your. That's the only way you can. Uh, you can reply, or the fullback that was marking you will be talking to you, calling you names, telling you what he's going to do to certain people in your family, or what they did to you last night, just to put you off your game. There was, there was, a, there were things that we used to go through, the kind of racism that um, you wouldn't see now. I'm glad. Honestly, if you don't laugh, then you'll cry. It's, hmm. uh, it's, it's shocking. As you said, it's still very bad. As you said, it was much worse back in the day. I think that's because people, I don't think people, because it's a teaching, isn't it? People need to be educated. But yeah. I don't think it's a place where people aren't as racist. I just think they're more knowledgeable of the people around them, would deem it unacceptable. So some hmm. of them don't know. But we all know what's going on behind yeah. closed Um uh, with some of these people do you think in regards actually in terms of the lack of recognition you've received until recently do you think that's partly because of the fact that you were dropped without any real reason and um, <laughs> the, coach, the coach actually left disgusted at that yeah. Yeah. for 25 years do you think it has anything to do with that like some undertones there or some things behind the scenes in regards to the, the whole it, it could be because uh, um, I was listening to the news, was it last Wednesday? Uh, I think they were talking about Jack Leslie, who was the first black footballer. No, he was selected to play for England. And the, the selectors have never seen his picture, so they didn't know who he was. And when they realised that he was a black player, they dropped him and then replaced him with with another player, probably white player. And the same breath, the newscaster then said, um, 50 years later, Vivandisen became the first black footballer to represent England. Now, we're talking about Radio 4 News, 8, 8 a.m., it's either um, not admitting to the fact that someone else um, did it before, Viv or Laurie, or uh, racism is being handled in such a, a poor way now that they're still not agreeing to the fact that black players are now coming out or being good enough to actually represent England. Because nowadays, you can't see someone who is actually naturally gifted as a, as a sports person and don't select them. Can you imagine, for instance, now, if um, Usain Bolt was running for England and he is the fastest human for a while, 
and then you can sort of look down and say, oh, we're not going to select him because the, the world will cry out. Nowadays, it's there for you to see and you, can never, you can't turn a blind eye on something that is so obviously, um, obviously there for you to actually see that he is, is the best person for this particular position. Let's put him in. So uh, to answer your question, uh, that's the question that you need to ask the, the governing bodies to see uh, what they will come up with. I know racism here in England is being handled well, and it's only part of the other European countries that still need to be educated on how to handle um, racism in their part of the world. But admittedly, here in England, something is being done. But to say racism, is it going to be eradicated? Hmm, I don't know. It will take a while, a very, very long time. your advice be to people who feel that they cannot relate that's white people obviously who feel that they cannot relate to the national team because there's too many ethnic players in the team they need to come into our world and live among us when I say live among us uh, try to understand what what we're about especially schools schools because I I will go to as part of uh, my supply teaching I will go to some schools and now we hear oh that boy in in year eight oh, such a difficult child and when you look at the boy number one you'll you see that he's black and number two, you can tell without him saying that he's crying out for help. And we don't understand. Some of us don't understand why he's crying for help. And some of the boys that I coach at my soccer school are boys who find it difficult to access the national curriculum. And what some of them would do is to misbehave in our various classes so that the teachers will send them out. And when they're sent out, they will hang around the corridors or go around the back in the playground. They know themselves, run around in the playground. And when I walk around, I will see some and I will invite them to my soccer school on the promise that they will stay in class for X amount of weeks. If they finish that and the teacher is happy with their behavior and with their academic work, I will give them a slot in my soccer school to come and train with us. 
that normally works. And to answer your question again, I think we need to understand the child's background, why he or she is doing what they're doing, not just to look at the, the facial aspect of what they're doing, they misbehave. Oh, they, they will do that. They, they will draw attention to themselves. It's a cry for help that some of us teachers don't really understand. Now, again, in um, regards to something uh, Rachel made, striker, and who obviously on your English schoolboys debut, you were used out wide. Now, it's come to the fore recently that um, commentators are being informed that they will need to use other words rather than pace and power. They'll be encouraged to, rather, use other words than pace and power, for instance, in regards to describing mm. black players. Um, mm. How hard do you think it will be now for commentators in regards to when they're talking about black players um, and using words like being technically skilled and gifted because let's be for instance Paul Pogba is strong but mm. he's one of the best passers in the mm. for his height also mm. gifted. how mm. hard is it going to be for them uh, why, why is it that black players get enjoyable first of all is it again does it stem from the education the teaching we're talking about and well, why is that like a collective thing in in, um, in football uh, because Back in your day, hmm. commentators were quite brazen, and and newspapers, sorry, not commentators, sorry, newspapers, hmm. kind of games were quite brazen in using words like coloured and negro in the yeah. things. How, yeah. how, 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 how difficult is this, and why it shouldn't have? They shouldn't have to be being told that anyway. It should be describing the player on the way that they're playing the game, surely. Well, if every single player was described using those words, I wouldn't mind. That they, they've got pace. And uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if players, all players are described using those words. But it, it, it's when they select darker skin for certain words to be used on them and lighter skins for others. That's the bit I don't really understand, but it's going to be difficult now for commentators to uh, to choose their words carefully because uh, when you're speaking on something that you know and you can see why you think uh, they are the way they are, words like that shouldn't really matter. But is the is the way black, especially darker skinned black players? Uh, described in that way that really disturbs me um, you can use those words for every player that is quick and is powerful as well but being selective and using those those words on black players kind of disturbs me uh, but commentators are now going to find it difficult to um, to use other words to describe how they feel that player is, is performing. I mean, I don't know what you think. Well, the, the, the same, because if it's as an example, I think that if Gareth Bale 
<laughs> was black. Gareth Bale got an abundance of technical ability, but if he was black, for instance, hmm. they wouldn't talk about Gareth Bale the way that they talk about him. For instance, yeah. look at that goal, the famous goal scored for Real Madrid in the um, cup final against Barcelona. Hmm. Actually, there was no necessarily skill involved. He's kicked the ball ahead of himself. He's run off the pitch, yes. kicked it again and ran. If that was a black player, he would have been, oh, look at his pace and power. His pace and power was so much. And yeah. Yeah. As much as we don't want to be, like, oh no, they're not trying to be racist. You have to look at it that there's a deep, there's a deep issue here. There's a core, and it's been going on for many, many a year. Hmm. Pace and power, pace and power, pace and power. When lots of players are so much more than that. Yeah. Oh man, again, it, again, man, I'm getting, sorry, I'm getting a little rowdy. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I can understand. I can understand, but it's. It's a commentator's job to describe or comment on what he sees in front of you or in, in front of them. And it's, it's sad that they've um, selectively chosen black, darker skinned players to use those words on. And like I said previously, if they were used against every single player who fits that mode, black or white, it wouldn't matter. It's the way they describe the darker skinned players that have actually brought this out. So going back, hmm. this something I was going to ask you earlier on, I've just remembered it, right, we're going, we're going back again hmm. uh, to when you joined Dulwich Hamlet. I know you played for Edwin hmm. uh, Finchley. Yeah. As well. But back when you joined Dulwich Hamlet in 1974, I think it was even, it might have even been the video that you referred to earlier. Um, you were saying that the home games were not mm. that but you said the away games were terrible. Yeah. Um, what, what exactly used to go on um, in the away games, aside from the, because um, obviously you spoke before about bananas being thrown mm. Is there anything else that, that went on in them games that... Um... Yeah. Um, it's the fact that a black player um, is actually playing and he is hurting the team that they support and they would do everything humanly possible to disrupt your game. Bananas thrown at you monkey chant, putting their hands under the um, armpit, as, as monkeys do, and the noises as well. Every time you touch, every time the ball is passed to you, you will get that. Or uh, you get names like Coon, yeah, or Nigger Boy. And the background, so you have to block those things out and perform and trying to do your best. They are the things that, in fact, it comes to a stage whereby they become um, a chant for me to do well, something that inspired me to do well. It meant that I'm hurting them. I'm having a good game because if I wasn't, um, they would be quiet. So when I, heard, when I hear things like that, oh, okay, yes. 
obviously I'm having a good game here, so carry on. Dish out what you've been dishing out. They used to even make me play better. But to them, probably, um, they're helping their team. No, they're not. They are inspiring in you. They're making you do well. So carry on doing what you are doing. They, they, they didn't know that you had previously had a Mr. Wind in your, in your life. Ah, no, they didn't. Ah, then go out there and do your best. You yes. Yep. All right, so when... Um, Obviously, you spoke earlier about your degree. Um, mm. Coached at QPR? Yes. Well, <laughs> in fact, QPR. Um, sad to leave there. And um, I actually, I was one of the founder members of the football in the community that is at um, Queen's Park Rangers now. And um, in fact, it got to a stage where... Uh, what I helped to start off, I suddenly realised that I wasn't getting the the call up that I was I used to get to go and coach meetings. I was not invited to certain to meetings. It got to a stage where the shift that I was getting was not there anymore. So. It made, me rem- it made me remember a book that I read called Animal Farm, where some pigs were more equal than others. And uh, it got to a stage where I wasn't getting anything. So I left and set up Atlantic Sports Development. Okay. So well, read into that where you can. <laughs> without saying <laughs> the race factor um, <laughs> and continue before we go back um, to um, more race related stuff uh, can you tell us about the Charlton Athletic Community Trust yes um, I was invited to the club to do a program for um, Charlton Trust, which I oh I agreed to do, because they're, they're the club that signed me, they're the club that look after me from from the age what well, from secondary school, so I did a video for them, which they showed on a match day, Charlton against Ipswich, and um, I was asked to to come up and I did half time centre circle. Ask, well, answering question from the crowd and I was actually made an ambassador and that's another story and I'm still yet to carry out an ambassadorial role for, for Charlton and also I asked them to if I can use their name to support the soccer school that I'm running i.e. Atlantic Sports Development um, in conjunction with Charlton FC is doing this, but uh, they said no because uh, uh, they've they've done so before with another organisation. What, what I was told, and it was abused. But Charlton have known me since oh since since secondary school days, and uh, 
I've been invited to the club on numerous occasions to do certain things. Um, I was even interviewed in the school that I was working at. So a program that was, I think, was shown or was um, given to the academy players as they're coming up. So I've done everything Charlton have asked me to do on their behalf, but I've asked them to use their name. They said no. And I was a bit disappointed. Oh, the reason, one reason they gave me was that uh, the the things that they do is so is so small that they didn't really want to disturb me. But if you ask, I will tell you if it's too small or if it's too big. Uh, I will say yes or I will say no. But I'm still waiting for one ambassadorial role uh, to, uh, for me to do. How much? How much contact have there been recently with them? I know that they've got some issues upstairs. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't get anything from them. Um, recent, recently, whoa, years now. Yeah. I think after after the program, after that um, video that I did for them, yeah. two thousand and something, I haven't had anything from them. Yeah. Oh, there was uh, there was one incident. Um, they were doing something. I don't know what it was, but the chap that I was on the video with rang me to say, "Am I attending this uh, this location that Charlton are doing?" I said, "Well, I haven't heard anything." He asked. He said to me, "Leave it with me. I'll get back to you." I said, "Okay." I'm still waiting. Right. So a new scheme. Mm-hmm. By has been introduced by the FA to help get more BAME players into coaching. Um, this will they'll be given a work placement which starts next season um, at clubs in the role to give them an easier outlook to give them an easier path into management. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we don't want tokenism, but sure. um, at the same time we do need more people from BAME. Um, uh, community, if to call it, to be noticed in regards to having the opportunity to be having the opportunity because we're seeing people get overlooked. Do you think there will be a change, or do you think this is just like a form of appeasement and things will stay the same? Uh, no, I, I think there will be a change and. Um... Uh, this particular kind of thing is long overdue. Uh, it will it will help a lot of clubs, really, especially clubs with a lot of black players. They they will have someone to to relate to. I, I think imagine the amount of uh, black players that retires from the game or that are in the game at the moment, and if you look at the manager. The managerial side of um, of, of clubs, uh, it seems it's unfair that black black players who have retired aren't given enough chance to actually manage clubs. Why is this? I mean, I don't know. Uh, if they're good enough to play, and I'm sure one or two of them would be good enough to to take part in the managerial side of um, of a club. Um, again, uh, another one, um, and 
<laughs> you don't need to hold back in regards to answering it. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, in regards to football broadcasting, mm. uh, why are there not more black faces? Um, like, so we see some presenters and that about um, that are white that have not had. Obviously, some of them are like maybe daughters or maybe related to ex there. <laughs> why are we not seeing why are all the black people that we do see on TV if we see any are ex-footballers why can not people that have knowledge of the game that have worked being presenters or whatever why why are we not seeing more and it seems almost impossible at times to be able to make a breakthrough. So it has to happen. This diversity thing that they preach about that they're trying to do, it needs to be done at all levels. They're doing well for the management here, but it needs to be done at a level as well because there's media graduates, etc. Mm. So that coming out all the time. Well, I hope this thing that they're doing will bring this out. And I'm hoping... Uh, Students who have um, graduated from the media world uh, are given the opportunity to uh, uh, to be employed. But then again, if 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 you haven't played the game or if if you haven't had a knowledge of football, it would be difficult for you to be employed to do the job that um, that is required. So the knowledge. And the experience of football will stand you in good stead to actually get this job. Whether or not they're just using it as a positive discrimination, I mean, I, I don't know. But I'm hoping that what they're trying to do now will help a lot of black ex-players or black blacks who have had experience in, in sport to be employed. Uh, in this world, hoping whether or not it will it will happen, or this is a token gesture, who knows? Right. So, well, I've got um, two two more questions for you that I can let you <laughs> I can let you go. Um, how with everything that's going on at the moment, this whole Black Lives Matter movement, etc. Mm. How important? Can football actually be in breaking um, racial barriers as, as as being like a tool? I know as well, um, you've done some work with Kick It Out, haven't you? Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, let's just, let's just say Kick It Out, they've been doing things for a very long time now. And they uh, it was only 2019 that I was invited to their dues. You've gone through, spoken about, and the recognition, recognition that you're getting now, it's only last year that obviously... Yeah. Um, and and it was, yes, yeah, sorry, it was a parent of, um, of a child that I coach uh, on my behalf, wrote to them and said, look, this guy, this is what he has done. He's been working with my son for X amount of years. Why is it that when you guys are doing these things, he's not invited? Can you invite him? That's when I got um, uh, a letter, uh, an invite letter from them. And uh, I went 
and I was recognized by the um, the host who mentioned my name um, just introducing the guests my name was mentioned and that was a recognition that I got and that was it nothing more than that at least the parents the children that your teacher at least that day gave from fully realizing and grasping exactly how monumentous it was the fact of what you'd what mm. you know it's always the parents of the the kids that i coached that will alert me to even though i've been going um i've been to at least six or seven of their dues but i would be a guest of a guest of a guest who would be sitting in row 604 at the back um watching the dignitaries and the the famous people being introduced and and being rewarded for what they've done in English football, British football. Whereas uh, I'm at the back viewing them getting their accolade. So it's <laughs> it's demoralizing sometimes when you think um, you should get something that is duly yours and um, it's not given. How frustrating has it been? Oh, too much. Seriously. Um, I got to a stage now whereby I'm asking, I'm asking myself, well, what else do I have to do? Yeah. Seriously, because uh, everyone that has done something for British football or the F- well, football, They've got their reward by either being invited somewhere to be given something special. And uh, Benodigi, the first black England footballer at any level, has nothing. What else can I say? We need to treat. We need to treat people properly in regards mm. to. I think we was on the BB myself, but in terms of what they've done, and this is why I'm so desperate to want you on this platform for you to able to talk no horns barred, uh, plug product integration, plug anything in regards to um, what what you're doing, rather than just ask you about one thing, want to get your background, everything that's going on with you, and I thoroughly um, enjoyed them. Thank you for that. So just the last one, I want to mm-hmm. leave you on, let you go. I've taken up enough of your time here. Thank um, you. <laughs> Last year, um, activist and writer Akala um, mm. tweeted Raheem Sterling, and he said yeah. that um, Raheem and he said some other players um, mm. should get to and buy a non-league club. Obviously, I think he was saying it in regards to obviously moving up, so then maybe other players will take heed, so they might be able to get a club at a higher level. Um, mm. How effective would that be, and what would that mean if we were to get? more black people in that hierarchy so then obviously from the top and then obviously fill down I know for instance you spoke about coaching at QPR I know QPR have got Les Ferdinand and they've had other blacks in and around the club in terms of like board members how mm. important how pathetically speaking obviously because that's happening but how pivotal would that be in regards to um, the, the current climate um it it can be collectively if black players get together and do it I think it would be nice 
but if an individual decides to do it on their own, uh, it will amount to anything. But if the black players decide to have a union and say, okay, um, let's get together and do this thing for ourselves and uh, the players who are coming up behind us, uh, it would be a very good thing to do. But uh, at the moment, is there a, a united nation in all the um, black players that are around? Would they be would they unite? Would there be enough of of them getting together to to form this? I don't know. That's a million dollar question, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> That's a million dollar question because obviously you're not, not. We see how much they earn, um, or roughly anyway, how much they earn on um, per week or whatever. But we don't. Know, we don't have to take care of. We don't know their backgrounds. Or yes. What they have to do, they um their their, um, their um, philanthropy. We don't know these things, so we cannot um t- uh, talk in regards to obviously also the money they're earning. But as you said, if they were to, that would be immense because yes. you get board members in there, then of um more black board members in, then they will treat well. I would hope so anyway. Everyone equally and give people the job then. On in regards to the school set that they have, rather than the colour of their skin, and then mm. that diversity will hopefully spread through. You know, because obviously in America you've got black people within the board of numerous basketball teams, for example. Mm. It's and it's not looked down and on, you know. But um, so hopefully that will come. Um, that will come over here, but we we can only wish and hope, you know. Yeah, something we should have here if that's possible. But um, is it is it going to be possible? <laughs> <laughs> we won't know until <laughs> obviously yeah, it actually happened. But um, Ben, ah, thank you very much, man. Thank you, thank you very much for your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, uh, you don't know how important this has been. Pleasure, you know. Um, but I felt you deserved to get the rightful praise and accolade for your achievement and what you did. Um, we need your legacy to be known. Thank and you. The people to also know that you're a trailblazer and paved the way for what we have here today with more black players um, in England. And hopefully, we can only hope that um, racism improves it's never going to fully eradicate itself and people mm. can educate it and they can listen to things like this and hear someone speak who was in it the first bat player that is huge even saying it feels good England you know and we hope that um, obviously people can um, uh, educate themselves and we can improve you know so I just want to say thank you very much and God bless you, you know? thank you very much thank you very much for having me thank you Probably pleasure is all right. Thank you. Okay. Any, any last words from yourself? Anything you want to promote or anything like that? Well, um, Atlantic Sports Development. Anybody in and around Queen's Park, North Lon- Northwest London, um, if you're a short of a, a club to, to join, try us. Google us. Um, Atlantic A-S-D-F-C dot UK and you will find us. Friendly club. Uh, well, yeah, it's a friendly club to join. If you 
if you're in need of a new club, uh, you can come and join us. Friendly atmosphere. Join Atlantic Sports Development. Thank you very much. Excellent. Right. So thank you very much. I obviously I'm Double D. <laughs> um, my Twitter handle is at Double D S D U B U L D E, and of course. This interview has been for the D&D Football Factory. We are back on your radio airwaves on On Top FM, 95.5 FM in London, back on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Um, if you've got any further questions you'd like to ask Ben or any feedback in regards to this podcast, um, please hit up our page at Pod on Twitter. Our main page is at dd footy factory underscore um thank you very much for listening people um take care we are out thank you very much